Hey guys, good to see you. How you doing? Doing all right? I want to talk to you today about the things that make people tick, the stuff deep down that, that motivates and drives and defines and identifies. And let me kind of situate this here. I think all of us, e each and every one of us individually, there are a lot of facets to our personalities and our character and our makeup. But deep within the core of that, I think every single person has a select few that can be identified that are so central to who they are that they would fundamentally cease to be the person they happen to be without that. Are you following me? In many ways, who we are changes. But at some level, there are certain things, it's almost like it's DNA embedded in our core that make us who we are. If you ever want to have some fun, try to, uh, try to identify this in people. Try to identify it in yourself. Who am I? What drives me at the core? So like I was thinking about it for me and I went, well, okay. I'm incredibly good-looking, I am all-surpassing in wisdom, and I'm just very humble. And, and if I was to lose those three traits, I would cease to be me, right? And I'm sure you have the same. Everyone, yeah, I, everyone has these core traits, values, DNA that not only mark who they are, but who they want to be, and it drives them. Guys, what I found is the same is true for churches. Churches have values as well. Core things that are deep in the DNA of who they are collectively that not only define them, but drive them. And more interestingly, you know what? The same is true for Jesus. Sometimes we elevate Jesus so much up here that we forgot he became a person down here. And as a person, there were things that were core to Jesus too. Things that were so central to his identity that he would cease to be Jesus, if you would go with me on this, if these were to become absent in his personality. And it's these things these core values that I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about five. Five that we have here at FOF. They're not the only five that could be had in the world. I won't even argue that they're the best five, but they're five that we've found deep in the core and heart of Jesus and that in our life here, we want to see be deep in the core of who we are as a church, just who we are as a people together. What are the five things that drive us? Or, as I like to put it, what are our hills to die on? What are those, four, those five key things that we would rather shut our doors as a church than lose as a result? Are, are you with me on this? And the first that we're really going to be kind of kicking around today as we start this for the next five weeks is, well, it's community. It's this idea that we find deep in the heart of Jesus, that genuine community, community, togetherness in all its array, has to be central to who 
we are. Now, I'm looking out today, and most of us in this room were not part of Fellowship of Faith when it began back in 1999. And the same is true for me. I wasn't here when this church began, but what I've learned is that it's important on a regular basis to hear the tribal lore. Do you have like a grandma or a grandpa who like tells the same story like all the time, right? You, you know, if you go to grandpa's house or maybe it's you and every time this story is going to come up, that's your tribal lore. But you know what it really is? It's your hill to die on. It's your value. It's something that's so defining and central and important to who you are or your family that it has to be heard again and again. This idea of community, it comes out of the fellowship of faith, tribal lore. And for those of you who weren't here from the beginning, permit me, if you will, to kind of tell you the story of where this church came from and how it began started in 1999. And the people who began this church were all a part of another church here in McHenry Zion, up north on 120. An amazing church with, that, that, that was filled with an amazing number of people who were truly seeking God together. But like every church you will find on the map had its issues, had its sins, and unfortunately were allowed to develop and fester like a cancer Zion, back in the day, had developed a wonderful, God-pleasing tradition of chewing up and spitting out their pastors. I was down in New Orleans two weeks ago. I was serving on this crisis team, and I was with this, uh, this guy. Some of you may know him. His name is Tom Acton. He was one of the pastors who was up there at Zion back in the day, serving down in Palatine now. And it's always great going to talk to those people who were there in the beginning and hear their stories. One who had been put through the mill of man, um, believe it or not, who actually picked out this piece of land long before it was bought or built upon for the dream that became Fellowship of Faith, telling me about how in his term the FBI had to be brought in because of the death threats he would receive anonymously through the mail, which makes it a federal crime. I remember talking to another guy that followed him, a pastor named Rod Kinnear, who didn't last nearly as long. He would tell me about how he would go to a funeral and come back to his car and the tires would be slashed. He'd tell me about the way his kids would be threatened at school. He would tell me about the stereotypical ways that rocks and bricks would be put through home Windows. I remember when I first came here to Fellowship of Faith, and you know, you always have that office clean out time, and, and people always forget like documents shoved in the back and started to read them and reading the anonymous threats and mail and hate that he received. He would tell me about congregational meetings that would be handled in terms of screaming matches that would turn almost violent is people would say, let's go settle this out back like God intends. Have you ever been in the ugly side of church? 
Have you ever been burned by it? Have you ever run because of what people have done in the name of Christ? If you have, can I just say you're in good company? Welcome to the people who forged fellowship of faith. It was out of this context that this church began. Now, I wasn't there in the beginning. What I'm going to share with you comes more from stories I've heard from those who were both here at FOF and those at Zion, from pastors in the area and in the district. For those of you who were here in the beginning, if my facts aren't straight, catch me afterwards and correct me because I want to make sure I'm given the proper tribal history. But as I'm told, what, what went down was something like this. It was in the midst of this, this hostility and in this, this striving and this praying and this yearning, but, but realization that nothing was going to get better, nothing was going to change that a group of people decided, we just can't do this anymore. They were going to scatter to the four winds. And there was a, a group of people one day that were just lamenting to each other, I can't believe it's come to this. I cannot believe we are not going to see each other again. I can't believe that this thing that we are trying to do together is falling. I... And someone out of nowhere just goes, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if there was a church here in McHenry that's the way it's supposed to be? And have you ever had those moments when something says, someone says something and it just kind of hangs out there and it doesn't even really click? No one even realizes what has been spoken until they kind of step outside of it and, and it just kind of hovers in their presence and it hangs. And someone goes... Well, why can't there be? What do you mean? Well, no, wait, wait a minute. Why can't there be? I don't know. I mean, you know, there's no pastor to lead us. There's no, no, no church that's planting us. There's no denomination with a 10-year strategy for the area. What do you mean? We can't just start a church. Wait, do you believe that where two or three come together in Jesus' name, there he will be? Yeah. Well, then why can't we? And as the story goes, several families gathered together in a living room one night just to kick around the dream, just to ask each other, are we nuts? Are we out of our minds? To which the resounding answer was absolutely. But they couldn't shake the dream. Sometimes I walk into meetings and you come out and you just feel like you've left your heart on the table and you're like a shell, a zombie. You've been in meetings like that? Right? No? Well, come around to more around here, all right? Um, but sometimes you come out of things, it lights you up. And as I'm told, those families came out of the meeting that day, driven, on fire, inspired in the fullest sense of the word to see what this dream could be. So here's what they decided to do. They did not want to fracture a church. So they decided to call their friends. They decided to call their family. Those who they knew that had already decided to leave. Those who had already left. And they said, hey, we're, we're, we're kicking around a dream. We thought you might want to be a part of it. And they rented a, a conference room 
It's a Shaw Center today, down on 31, just south of Bull Valley. It was a hotel, I'm told, at the time. They, they rented out this conference room, and people started to come in. And something amazing happened that is so central to what this thing means called genuine community. People started to come in, and they didn't know each other. They didn't recognize each other. Conversations would go like this. Hey, uh, did, did you go to Zion? Yeah, did you? Yeah, how long have you been going there? 15 years. Oh, really? How long have you been going there? 25. Never met each other. Didn't know each other. Spent two decades doing life together as a church, not even realizing what didn't exist. Scales started to fall from eyes that day. As people started to realize for the first time how centrally important it is to be a genuine community. Now what happened was they started gathering around a table. And those first families started sharing the dream. Amazing things started to happen around the table, but one thing at the time was thought of as a miracle. Because see, there was a guy there who used to go to Zion who was deaf. See, Zion had a deaf ministry at the time, and the, the sign interpreter would stand in this certain section, and, and this one family would always sit there, and every week they would see deaf man before the interpreter. But deaf man's at the meeting, and you know what? Deaf man is speaking. Not only is deaf man speaking, deaf man is responding to what other people are saying at the table. It is an Acts 2 miracle in our midst, anointed by God, right? He wasn't deaf. No one ever took the time to meet him. He would come in on Sunday, he would sit in front of the interpreter, and he would leave. For 25 years, people would come, people would go. They thought he was deaf. He probably thought they were dumb. <laughs> what have we become as a church? When we worship together in, quote, community for 25 years and think people are deaf because no one had a conversation. By the way, deaf man is still going to Fellowship of Faith. His name is Ron Schutte. He was on the worship team today. He's the guy who's singing right over here. And it was deep in the core early on of realization if we are going to be the kind of church that Jesus wants to be, it's got to be rooted in real community doing life together. They tell me that they would meet around that table and they share the dream. And then, of course, it, it, there's always one in the crowd, you know? Someone who asks the proverbial question, so what do we do? Well, I don't know what we do. It's a dream. All right, well, what do we do? There was no leadership there was no expertise. There was no training. There was no vision or strategy. Just a fledgling group of people coming together in commonality. And as I'm told, the conversation that, that night went something like this. One person went, well, 
I guess we need an office. I mean, how can you, how can you be the people of God in the church without an office? I know a buddy who's got a warehouse. I don't think he's using his office space in the back. Let me see what I can do. Someone else. I guess we're going to meet together to worship, right? I don't know, where do we go? We can't afford to build anything. We can't afford to buy anything. You know, I, I know the District 15 superintendent. Maybe I can get us some gymnasium space in a local elementary school. Someone else going, man, I don't know anyone. I can carry a tune, though. I know how to play a little keys. I guess I can sing. And someone else going, I'm not good at anything. But here's some money. It's yours. Take what you need. Get this going. Because I want to be a part of this genuine community based around this dream. And unwittingly, without even realizing it, they started forging this thing called Acts 2 Community. What does that mean? Acts 2 gives this amazing picture. It's a charter, if you will, of what Christ wants to see his church be. Let me share these verses with you that became so central to fellowship of faith that day. Acts 2 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. It says all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, don't let that skate by. Not Sunday. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. And they still couldn't get enough of each other. So afterwards they went and broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And without even realizing it, that group of people back in 1909 that day fell backwards into this, realizing what Jesus says can be. Now, when I look at Acts 2 here, and I want you to look at this, I start to see something really interesting, something that goes against the core of who I am and who I think our culture is as well. Do you notice how in this passage everything is plural? There is zero sense of me and Jesus in some individualistic kind of way. Everything is plural. Just count the they's. Start in your mind to highlight everything that speaks of community. They devoted themselves to the teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Fascinating. It didn't just happen spont spontaneously. They devoted themselves to it. This is central to who we are to breaking bread and to prayer. They were together. They had things in common. They looked out for each other in the most personal and real kind of ways. They, they met together. They did life together. They broke bread in their homes together. 
they were glad together. And people saw it. People who didn't have it. People in our world who don't know what that's like but yearn for it deep in their bones and said, I want that. And they didn't close it off. They didn't make it their, their private club or their clique. They said, let the community blaze, let it grow. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Deep in the heart of this thing called FOF is this desire and drive to be this. And at the core is this thing called genuine biblical community. And I'll tell you, it doesn't come easy. Because the temptation today is not to this. The temptation today is not to community, right? What's the temptation today? It's not community. It's autonomy. See, the reality is so many of us, we want to be independent. And community rails against that. We want to be independent while community asks for interdependent. We want church to be kind of like this, a spiritual shopping mall with all kinds of services and all kinds of programs and all kinds of great things to catch our eyes and scratch our itch that we can come and consume and purchase, if you will, without any sense of investment or connection with the other people who are, quote, shopping there too. You know what I mean? I think what people want today is for church to be like a restaurant. It's a place we all come and eat the same food without any connection to others sitting at the other tables, without any sense of being there together, without any sense of loyalty or sacrifice or service given to the others who are eating in the same place. Look, I can only speak for me. I've been there. There's something appealing in that, isn't there? But that isn't the picture that Jesus brings. That isn't this Acts 2 community that dwells deep in his heart. Or how about this? I think a lot of us, honestly, we see this, and it feels old hat. Maybe you're here and you're hearing this for the first time and it's lighting you up. But my bet is that most of you here who have spent some time with us have heard this before. And you see the passage and you hear the verbiage and you go through it and it's like, okay, cool. Doesn't light you up anymore. Doesn't get in your soul. Doesn't, doesn't burn within. It's become boring if you will. Familiarity with things has a way of doing that. Date someone long enough, be married to someone long enough, and you will start to get bored with them. Read something enough, watch something enough times, you start to get bored with it. Live somewhere long enough, it starts to get a little boring. Hear something enough times. You know the punchline. Who laughs at the joke the 30th time they've heard it? 
And this is the danger with Jesus. He gives us these pictures and these visions and these ideas. And we as Christians who have heard it time and time again can so easily start to slip off the cliff of boredom and go, what's new? Or what have you done for me lately? Can I ask you today, have you become bored with this? If so, you're not alone. But may I encourage you to not take Jesus' dream for granted. It's fascinating. I say right now, Jesus died for your sins. And that stirs nothing in you. But in India, where it hasn't been heard, someone says, Jesus died for your sins, and three churches are birthed in your sight. The familiar can become unfamiliar without us even realizing it. Do not lose sight of what is deep in the core of Jesus' heart and his dream. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe the reason this is difficult or always stays there is because you're like me. You're a loner. You know, most people think that I'm an extrovert here at Fellowship of Faith because this is how they see me. Guys, can I just kind of have like true confession with you today? I am a flaming introvert. I have to go home and decompress for 36 hours after a Sunday morning. My idea of a good time is books, video golf, and solo sports. The best conversations I have are with myself. My kids interrupt me all the time. We're driving in the car. It's completely quiet. They have the audacity to interrupt the conversation I'm having in my mind because they want to talk. Any of you like this? Show your hands if you're an introvert. Wow, you're probably not an introvert. <laughs> I asked that at like 9 o'clock and like two people raised their hands and went, yep, you're an introvert. All of you. No hands up right there. Now, you know what I mean? Are, are you with me? This, community, this, this taxes me. This demands of me. This takes of my energy. I'm the guy at the party who is happy to sit alone and have a conversation with nobody and just listen and observe. But you know what I've discovered? Is that there's richness in this. Even for someone like me. There's richness of this. There's depth. There's connection with Jesus that cannot be experienced or tapped in any other way. Because what I found is that it's in community and through the community that Jesus so often speaks. I want to have my private conversation, but it's there among the people that God chooses to speak. I found that it's in community that God confronts me with my blind spots and my stupidity. I find that it's in community that I've come to really discover what words like acceptance, belonging, purpose and meaning 
what they actually look like, what they actually mean. It's in community that I found you get to kind of feel what God's love and forgiveness looks like. Where his tangible, where his grace becomes tangible. You know what I mean? Where it goes from being an idea to reality. It's in community. So let me ask you this morning. How are you doing with it? You might be a part of Fellowship of Faith. You might be visiting for the day. I don't really care. Wherever your church home might be, whatever that circle might, how are you doing? Is Acts 2 a reality for you? Can I ask you a few questions? And in the true spirit of introversion, don't raise your hands. Let me just ask you a few questions here. Do a, do a self-diagnostic today, if you will. If you call FOF your home or you've kind of been here for some time, think about this church. If you're visiting with, for, for, for the day and you have another church, think about the church that you call home. You got your place in mind? How many people do you know? How many people in your church do you know? And just so we're not muddy on definition, if you don't know their first and last name along with their face, you don't know them. You recognize them. There's a difference. How many people do you know by name with their face? And maybe even, let's get wild here, something about them. How many do you know? How are you living community? Let me ask you this. How many new people have you met in your church in the last six months? First and last name. Can I take it a step further? And relatives don't count in this one. How many of you invited to your home? How many homes of theirs have you gone to? Or how many restaurants or coffee shops or bars have you chosen to spend some of your time to forge a relationship with them within? How many have you broken bread with and ate together? <laughs> because you wanted to, <laughs> with glad, insincere hearts. How many? How many have you prayed for? How many have you prayed with? How many have you sat with when they find themselves in a dark place or a place of struggle or question or need? How many have you experienced the manifestation and presence of God with in your life, and not just in a big room like one of these? You getting at what I mean here? How many have you tangibly helped? Let me ask it again. How is Acts to community going for you? And if the answer is not too good, 
Can I just encourage you here today? You are not alone. There is a congregation of people sitting around you by and far who are struggling with this. If it's not going too well for you, can I encourage you again? God allows U-turns. So many people paralyze themselves by regretting the past and what has been left undone. What God calls you to is today. What does it mean today to be asked to community? What does it mean to start living it today? How do you get in the game today? What does it mean to say, God allows me to restart, renew, repent, return, relive and rededicate to his dream today? Because that's what he wants for you guys. That's what he wants for you. He wants what deep is in his, what's deep in his heart to be what you have, what you live, what you experience. And my prayer is that that deep drive for Acts 2 community that forged this place called Fellowship of Faith, that it will never be pushed away. That for us as a community, it becomes a hill to die on. Something where it would be better to shut our doors as a church forever than to forsake. And my prayer is the same for you. My prayer is the same that becomes your hill to die on. That Jesus' call becomes so central to your identity. That starting today, you take whatever steps that Jesus is calling you to, that he wants you to make. So let me show you how we give verbiage to this. Our first value at Fellowship of Faith is genuine community. And here's what we say. At Fellowship of Faith, we never want to be a sea of nameless faces. One of the primary reasons this church began in 1999 was because a group of believers wanted to become a church where people are in relationships with each other in the way Jesus describes. And there it is. We want to be an Acts 2 church. Let's intentionally go for it today. Here's where I think it can begin. By seeking God, by praying, by talking to Him, asking and committing to what lives deep within His heart. So I want to invite you to rise. We've taken the words of Acts 2 and we've taken it from a statement and made it into a prayer. Would you pray with this? Would you pray this with me today? Lord, devote us to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Fill us with awe at the wonders and miraculous signs done by the apostles. Bring us together in common. May we sell our possessions and goods to help those in need. Lord, we will continue to meet, breaking bread in our homes and eating together with glad and sincere hearts. Receive our praise, O God, and may we enjoy the favor of all the people. Add to our number daily those who are being saved. Amen.